podcast uses profanity and topics may be disturbing for some listeners. Listen at your own risk. Welcome to Hell on Hills podcast. I'm Bryce. I'm Amanda. And hello. Welcome back to the chaos. Uh, glad you're here with us for mm-hmm. whatever reason. You keep coming back and we appreciate that. Because every now and then I got a good one-liner. And Amanda's yeah. accent comes out. Yeah. Yeah, they keep telling me about that at work. I can't even say mobile, apparently. I'll say it and they're like, mobile. And I'm like, that's what it's called. It's mobile. It's not mobile. <laughs> Are you sure it's not mobile? Yes, that's a phone. <laughs> Is it team mobile? They call it T-Town sometimes. I'm not sure why. <laughs> nope, never mind. That's Theodore. Just kidding. Oh, okay. They call it Mob Town. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, well, it's actually been a couple days since we've um, talked this time. It did. Well, yeah, it has been. We kept pushing it back. That's not true. We talk regularly. Yes. We complain we have, regularly to each other. Yes. Yes. That's, there's a difference between talking and complaining. So how are you? Not bad. Look, look what I have. It's a, it's a, it's a soda. Mm. It's a, it's a root beer, a Barks. I'm treating myself tonight. All right. Are you treating yourself or treating the baby? It's definitely myself because okay. I've had way more caffeine in the day than I've ever had that yet yeah, today. Oh, okay. Not, okay. Not that I have ever had, but like I had two like travel sliced, travel sliced, travel sized cups of tea because I don't drink coffee because it makes me nauseous. So tea. Uh-huh. And then, yeah, a soda from Sonic. And then another soda now. So I do not usually drink this much. I should probably oh. drink some water. My kidneys are screaming. Go get you a Gatorade. Uh, James brought me one to work. <laughs> <laughs> he dropped one off on his way by to get Jack today. So he's, he's taking care of me and his child. I was going to ask, do you not love your Sam's Club membership solely for the Gatorade? I didn't get it this time. But the reason I didn't get it is because when I was really nauseous, because now everyone knows I was pregnant. I was nauseous as hell. And that's why I cut out coffee. I can't remember if I said this, but I'm a coffee-holic. It's the only caffeine I had in a day. And it made me super nauseous. So I had to stop drinking it, which I'm still mad about. I hope you hear me in there, baby. But I would drink that. I would drink a lot of Gatorade when I was still nauseous. Now that I'm not, I'm trying to gravitate back towards water because I got out of that habit. And I was mm-hmm. just drinking Gatorade all day. So I literally told James, I was like, no, I'm not going to get any this time because I need to get back in the habit of drinking water. And here I am drinking anything but today. You know what? I think you're at least Gatorade is at least a little bit better than soda. It is, but doesn't it have a bunch of sodium in it? And that was a problem. I did indulge today because I got a root beer from Sonic with cherry flavoring and cherry fruit in it. It was really good. Yeah, it's got a lot of sodium, but one's not going to kill you. Oh, no, I was drinking like two or three a day. Because this is when I was nauseous up until like, I would be nauseous, I would eat lunch, I would expel lunch, and then be nauseous like up until two, three o'clock. Okay, well, I'm still saying like now, now that you're trying to do more self-control, one is not going to kill you. No, that's why I just asked him to bring me one. I'm like, I really need to hydrate and I'm going to cheat. So Mm -hmm. can you bring me a Gatorade? And he was like, yeah. 
Oh, so it wasn't out of like the kindness of his heart. You asked. Oh yeah. Oh okay okay. I thought oh, wait, it was all that sweet. Was... <laughs> that wasn't supposed to sound like that. I was like, oh yeah, no, he sucks. No, that's yeah. not what I meant at all. <laughs> um, are you sure? Because I'm questioning it now. <laughs> I'm positive. Okay. Well, other than that, how are you? I think I'm pretty good. Yeah. We've been uh, working with Annie. We've been potty training. How's that going? I think we tied. So she's peed on my floor twice, but she has peed and pooped in the toilet one time each. Well, I think, I think because she's done one of each, you're in the lead. Like, poop Just, is I'll take it. Triple okay. points or something. Okay, good. Then I'm a good mom and I'm doing it right. <laughs> cool. I'll take it. Yeah, we're working on it though. We finally got her used to it. We have a potty fairy and she gets dried or dried, dehydrated peaches. I don't know. She freaking loves them. Yeah, dehydrated peaches. Okay. She gets one of those when she potties. That's her potty snack. And she has a little potty fairy. Yeah, we're. I, I don't. Look, just, just poop in the toilet, please. Okay. Wait, I thought she tried to drown the potty fairy in the potty. She did. So I sent Bryce a picture of where I walked in the bathroom and her potty fairy was in the potty part of her potty. So what is it called? I keep wanting to say a porta potty. Her toddler potty? Yes, thank you. Like the training potty, that thing. I I don't know. Porta potty is the first thing that comes to my mind. It is kind of a porta potty, but a porta potty for toddlers. The toddler porta potty. Okay. The the pedia porta potty? Pediatrician? Pedialyte? No, I understood that. Okay. Call it whatever. I know what you're trying to do, but I'm eating, so. (laughs) Priorities. Fair. Yeah, the fairy was in the potty, so now I'm just like, okay, well, this is her job now. This is her life. She lives, there's like a little storage thing in the back of the potty, and that's where she hangs out and... We make her dance and we sing when Annie's on the potty. That's one hell of a potty fairy. Never thought in my life, if you would have told me when I was 23, that one day I was going to be sitting on the bathroom floor singing to my daughter with a potty fairy, I wouldn't have believed you. You're happy it's happening. Well, yeah, I don't want to change diapers anymore. Potty parties, potty parties. Potty party, let's go. Well, you do that every time you're in the potty with Annie. I know. It's multiple times a day. It's, I need to share. <laughs> so how are you? <sighs> um. Well, you know I did the transfer on to Wait, okay, hold on. Before we get into that, this motherfucking cat. Oh. Yeah? The cat? My husband's cat. Uh-huh. Decided he does not eat anymore. Oh. He that's an- that's an option I didn't know was available to take. Neither did we. <laughs> um, so for the past couple of weeks, we've been fighting to get him to freaking eat. Uh-huh. And he likes to toy with us. So <laughs> we'll give him something and he'll eat it. And then like the next day, we try to give it to him again. And he's like, no. <laughs> oh, so, so you have a toddler. Uh, worse, we have a needy ass cat that apparently has been really sick. So Cody took him to the vet yesterday mm-hmm. and we have been having to care for this asshole who, by the way, is at least personality wise acting like normal. That doesn't he sound is- like a good thing. All day. He's just bitched at me all freaking day. 
<laughs> like I swear to God, Cat, I love you, but I will drop kick you, and you have <laughs> lost so much weight that I can do it easier. So watch yourself. <laughs> they basically because we took him in, and they think he's like ten years old. We didn't get him as a kitten, so we don't actually know how old he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes sense for him to be about ten, though. But they think that he just had like a really bad sickness or like an infection somewhere in his body. They gave him some sort of shots. I'm sure he loved that. They said he was totally fine. Oh. He's so, he's such a docile cat. He like, okay. he lets some man handle him all the time. Could just strangle him all day. Like, I'm happy he's feeling better, but I swear to God, if I hear him meow at me <laughs> one more time, one more time. But he's thanking you, it sounds like. No, it sounds like he's bitching at me because he wants something. Uh, food, possibly? Or no? Oh, he's he's got food. I can give him food and he'll look at me and meow at me again. And I'm like, what do you want? The good food. Oh, I give him the good food. He's getting spoiled right now. Because I have to get him to eat. He's pissing mm-hmm. me off. Anyway, <laughs> so that was the adventure yesterday, was getting our sick cat fixed, we hope. I also might have been extra bitter because, you know, we've got the three dogs, two cats, five animals total, six if you include Cody, but five total. Out of the five, would you like to know how many have had a vet visit this year? Counting or not counting the cat? Counting the cat. Six. I don't have that many. You said Cody. not, Not including him. Oh, five. Four, so you were really close. Four out of our five animals have had to have vet unplanned vet visit. That's not true. One of them was planned. Can I guess the one that did not have the planned, the unplanned vet visit? Go for it. Was it your cat? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. I and told, good night. I told Cody yesterday, I said, we only have one good animal in this house. <laughs> only one. I like her right now. She's great. And Cody thought I was talking about Maisie. I was like, no, screw her. It's our, it's our kitty cat because she is the only one that has not <laughs> had to go to the vet this year. Granted, I don't think she'll enjoy the vet visit. <laughs> so, oh. Anyways, so real bitter about that. Um, but on the bright side, uh, and I know by the time our listeners hear this, it's weeks, weeks out. But we did our embryo transfer on Tuesday. I have felt like crap, but I don't know if that's stress. But I did learn. <laughs> Uh After that transfer, I just inherently was, like, crossing my legs, like, don't fall out. (laughs) Just don't have to do that. Oh, yeah. The first couple days, I was doing it just subconsciously, like, not even thinking about it. And my thighs hurt so much because I was crossing my legs so tight. (laughs) I was like, you better stay in there, damn it. Sticky. Yeah, we, we want it to be sticky. So, but we have one week left until we will know if it worked. By the time you guys hear this, it'll be, like, way, way out there. Um, Yeah. And then, also, even better news, like, the best news I think I could possibly have gotten is I can finally take allergy medicine tomorrow because I'm going freaking crazy. Oh, my God. I'm happy for you. I cannot wait. I I don't. I don't know. I'm happy for you because the... When I stopped taking it, when I was, like... I think I might be pregnant. And then I realized I was. I was like, crap. And I had to stop. I, I have customers that call like all the time. Mm-hmm. And when I answer the phone, one of them told me today, like sh- as soon as I was like, hey, this is Amanda. How can I help you? She was like, oh my God, baby, you sound so much better. And I'm like, 
I feel so much better. You're like, thank you for reminding me. I couldn't take allergy medicine for a minute, okay? For so long. And I even told her, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm pregnant. I can't take any. And she was like, oh, bless your heart. And I was like, I know. Thank you. It's stressful. When they say it's um, it's a sacrifice, motherhood, boy. You're telling me right now, because my God, this has been real rough. But anyways, those are my only updates. I just thought you would enjoy those. I'm most excited that you can take allergy medicine. Oh my God, I'm so excited. Because <laughs> I've told you most of my allergies are like skin contact, so I'm super, super itchy. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't help that I've got five animals. Well, I had four animals <laughs> running around. The fifth one was sick. Um, he's running around again, though. It's fine. I have five animals running in and out of my house, bringing in all the crap. Like, <laughs> I cannot even comfortably sit on my couch right now. I believe everything you just said. So. And before we started recording, like, I, I went and took a shower because I was so itchy. And I was like, get whatever is on me off. I'm really glad. Not just for you, especially for you, but also for me. Because last week, when we were recording, I kept seeing you scratch and I kept scratching. <laughs> You're probably going to see it again today. Great. Okay. I didn't need... Um, I've got a mole right here, so I'll just scratch the left arm, and then maybe I'll just get rid of that. You know what? Last week, I wasn't even scratching. I was applying itch cream. Oh, you were still scratching. You want me to send you the video? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I just was like, I'm not scratching. I'm fine. (laughs) You definitely did apply a lot of lotion, but also, you scratched. I have tried so hard not to. It's gotten to a point where I was fighting the urge to itch so bad, I was in tears. I was like, I'm dying. At least it's not that for me. I just can't breathe through my nose um, and sometimes at all. So if you see me taking deep breaths, it's because my medicine wore off and I'm waiting on it to kick back in. So, Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. If you see me, you know, taking deep breaths, it's just because I can't breathe. No big deal. No big deal. That's fine. Yeah, it's James, cool. James is there. It's fine. He'll save yeah. you. Just, just keep talking or, you know, whatever. I'll just message James and be like, hey, have you checked on Amanda? I think she might have passed out. <laughs> Push her to the side and finish her story. Yeah. And then it's wake her up. Yeah. That's fine. Put- maybe, maybe resuscitate her if needed, but I don't know for yeah. sure. Just put a straw down her throat and like step on her chest a few times. I think that's how yeah. they tell you to do it. That's news to me. I don't think that's how they tell you to do it, but. Oh, it's not. I've just made that up. But no, it sounded kind of good, right? It sounded kind of good. <laughs> It's, you sounded real confident in your delivery. <laughs> yeah, y'all don't do that. <laughs> Amanda is not a medical professional, so please don't take her advice. No, yeah, don't don't take any advice from me, probably. <laughs> but what you could do, if you want to see pictures from this episode, you could go to Instagram, Facebook. I thought it was pretty smooth. Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. We do post pictures there. Instagram, Facebook is Helen Hills Podcast. Twitter is Helen Hills Pod. You can email us if you have any suggestions, words of encouragement, um, complaints. Sure, we'll take them. Will yeah. we care? No, but you can email us, Podcast at gmail.com. Um, we also have our Discord up. So if you want to join us on Discord or our Patreon is up and going, if you want to join us on Patreon as well. But other than that, I uh, I think this really smooth transition deserves a story now that was that was really good um <laughs> and i told you i got a story this week it's it's kind of 
Look, it's got a lot of twists and turns. And I'm pretty sure you might know this story. It's very popular. Okay, well, I'm ready for it. Okay. So this is a story of Jennifer Pan. I don't think I know this one. Oh, just wait. Let's see. Okay. Okay. Bic Ha Pan and Hui Han Pan, they were Chinese-Vietnamese immigrants, and they moved to Markham, Canada in 1979. Both of them worked at Magna International as an auto parts manufacturer. And after they immigrated and found each other, they worked really hard because they both met each other while they were in Canada. And they, they wanted to give their children better than they had growing up. So they worked their butts off. They scrimped and saved. And eventually they got to the point where they bought a large house. They, I believe he drove a Mercedes and she drove a Lexus, but I might have that backwards. But they had a Mercedes and a Lexus and they had roughly $200,000 in savings. So they like, they were doing well. Yeah. They started from the bottom and now they're here. In 1986, Bit gave birth to their first child, Jennifer. Their second child was Felix, their son, and he was born in 1989. And they were really strict with their kids. They expected hard work and diligence from them. Han was described as the the classic tiger dad. I know you've heard that. It was like all over the place a couple years back. I don't think I've ever heard that term, tiger dad. Okay, tiger parents, like a tiger mom or a tiger dad, is when parents, most of the time it's in Asian cultures, but they're very definitely in all cultures. But that is when the parents are super strict on their children. They're not, they don't really show a lot of love or compassion, but they are ridiculously strict. They force like good grades and they're all about extracurriculars that are beneficial in some way, I guess you could say. Okay. Tiger parents, they don't really leave their kids a lot of time to be kids. Okay. Now, Bic, she was described as his reluctant accomplice from what I read. And her and Jennifer had a good relationship. They were close. But when it comes to parenting a lot, Bic sided with Han. And she would kind of try to take up for her daughter. But uh, it just kind of seemed like she maybe sided with their dad a little more. Which, to some extent, I can see... Right. Like you're, if you're a married couple parenting, you want to, aren't you supposed to like create a united front? Yeah. You don't want to undercut. Undermine each other. And yeah. Yeah. So like, I can see that. Don't let them separate you. That's why you're only supposed to have a maximum of two. Mm-hmm. Because once you're outnumbered, you're screwed. Oh yeah. That's why after this, take them out, doc. We're done. We're d- Just take it. We're, we're yeah. going to call it good. Call it quits. Take it, cut it, burn it, in that order. That's one hell of an order. (laughs) Jennifer started piano at four years old. And from what I read, like, she she did enjoy it. She was really good at it. She also, she started figure skating, and she was super athletic. She was more athletic than she was academic. She did figure skating. She swam. She did martial arts. Um, I read somewhere that she also played the flute and the xylophone. Like, she was she was doing the damn thing. Yeah, hell yeah. With figure skating, she loved figure skating. And her parents, they were very much, they wanted her to go to the Olympics. And it seemed like she very well could have. She had the drive and the passion for it. And she was also just really talented. Mm-hmm. 
some nights, however, um, she would come home for, she, well, excuse me, she would wake up early in the morning and she would go to figure skating practice. And then she would go to school and then she would go back to figure skating practice until about 10 p.m. She would come home, do homework until 12 a.m. and then go to sleep and do it all over again. Uh, that's far too much. That is enormous pressure for a child, even if they enjoy what they're doing. Right. Of course, that's just me saying this, but my daughter pooped in a toilet, so. So, I mean, different parenting goals here. Yeah, she's not figure skating, but she's pooping in the potty. In one, the one time. Petty part. Petty yeah. part. The, yeah, the petty potty. Pet Whatever the potty. hell. Yeah, the triple P. <laughs> when she didn't win first in competitions, her father was upset, uh, to say the least. But her mom, Bick, would wait until her dad was asleep and she would tell Jennifer, you know, all we want for you is just to do your best. Just do what you can. So her mom was kind of, you know, she was trying to play both sides, which it, it does sound like her mom was in a, a tight situation there, too, like we were saying earlier. Okay, but here's the other thing is I don't think she was happy to have lost any competitions either. Like, I'm sure she was yeah. upset, too. Like, Oh, yeah, she was. She was very driven very she was driven but not always in my opinion for the best reasons it was from a young age it was pushed heavily on her and her brother you have to do well you have to make the family look good you know you can't disrespect the family that kind of thing mm -hmm. unfortunately she eventually tore a ligament in her knee that prevented her from skating for good Mm -hmm. and that's the hard part is because that's that's a danger of a lot of sports is injury right of, yeah know. especially okay. your acl like uh which oh, okay when they say a ligament in your your knee i'm assuming it's similar to an acl right but once you tear that like i think that's that kind of does you in for a lot of sports yeah well i mean thinking about like sports i really can't think of any that are low enough contact that that type of injury really wouldn't put you out you know ping pong is that really a sport i think it is but extreme ping pong they really get into it so they might be moving there too uh, okay i'll give them that one. Oh, what about the sport where they're stacking cups and then unstacking them really quickly well any wrist injuries for them suck okay true yeah carpal tunnel you were done for yeah carpal tunnel arthritis whatever you got going you're done for there yeah like, I, I really just can't think of any sport that if you were injured, it wouldn't, I guess if it, the injury was serious enough, it wouldn't, you know, take you out. Yeah. No, I can't. I can't really either. My mom, she didn't even play sports and she injured her ACL. And at like one time when I was, I don't know, 10, 12 years old, somewhere around in there. And she injured the same leg, the same ACL, like two or three more times in life. Just because she injured it the first time. Yeah, no. Yeah, no, my, thank you. My point being is it happens and it's a risk in the sports. Mm -hmm. And I'm a little concerned about how her parents reacted. <laughs> um, well, we're going to talk about that. They definitely started focusing more on the academics. Which, like I said earlier, uh, Jennifer wasn't the best at. Now, she wasn't the worst. But they they were super strict in other areas of her life, too. 
She was not allowed to have a boyfriend until after college. Her parents picked her up from school every day. She was not allowed to go to dances because Han thought that they were unproductive. You're unproductive. She was also not allowed to go to parties or sleepovers. From what I read, there was one time they let her go to a sleepover. And she got there late at night. And they picked her up early in the morning because she had to go to practice. So even then, it was like, well, dang. It was literally all she did was sleep. It seems like it, yeah. Poor kid. Still, um, her classmates said that she was a social butterfly. She got along with everybody. She was easily likable. It was described as having an easy laugh. Like was, she just always seemed ready to laugh and easy to make laugh. When she graduated uh, elementary school, or uh, not elementary school, I'm sorry, eighth grade, when she graduated, she expected to be valedictorian and win all these awards for her grades. And she got nothing. She said she watched other kids get awards, but she never got any herself, even though she had top marks. And it was said that she acted fine. She was completely okay. But later, she also said that she was really upset. She was terrified to tell her parents. She was, she was kind of heartbroken to be doing all this work and really giving it her all and not even being a kid and then to not even get anything for it not be recognized like that's what she's looking for right if she's looking right. for recognition exactly and she's not getting it at home she's not getting it from her dad and now she's not getting it from school either like that's rough now she was a top student all the way up into ninth grade she averaged c's in everything except music which she did well in and instead of telling her parents and risk disappointing them thank you i was looking for the word and risk disappointing them, she started forging her report cards. I don't know if this is because I'm just stupid, not creative enough. I don't understand how people could forge their report cards. I thought the same thing. I mean, it sounds like she did the damn thing. Just, okay, look, the, this girl, master forger. Okay, let's just go ahead. We're going to get into that. She learns. But apparently she used old report cards. And she used scissors, glue, and a photocopier to make it look like she had all A's. Damn. And her parents bought it. She wasn't, like, really happy, obviously, that she wasn't doing well in school. But she figured, you know what, uh, this is my ninth grade year. I've still got at least another, at least one more year, maybe two more years before colleges really start looking at my GPA. So she's like, I have time to bring these grades up. Mm-hmm. In 11th grade, Jennifer met Daniel Wong, and Daniel was described as goofy, sociable. He had a big smile. He played trumpet in the band, and he went to the same school as Jennifer until he eventually transferred for low grades, and he was charged with drug trafficking marijuana. Oh, cool. Yeah, so he switched schools. Um, but before then, Daniel and Jennifer, they were friends until a band trip to Europe in 2003. What happens in band camp? It, it's forever. I think that's <laughs> how it goes. Uh, not quite, but I'll let you, for the sake of the story. Yeah, for Jennifer, it's forever. Okay. So they had apparently been playing a concert in a hall that allowed smoking. So it was super smoky. A lot of people were smoking in the crowd. And Jennifer had asthma. So afterwards, she ran outside, which she still 
played the concert. Okay. So she's just like, I guess, trying to breathe. Yeah. Afterwards, she ran outside and she was trying to calm down, but she, you know, I've never had an asthma attack, but I don't know how the hell you calm down from that. Daniel ran up to her and calmed her down. And Jennifer said that he pretty much saved her life doing this, calming her down and kind of coaching her through how to breathe. Mm-hmm. And from that moment on, she was pretty much devoted to him. Showed her some kindness. Yeah. Meanwhile, Jennifer's, you know, continuing through high school. She's continuing to forge her report cards. She got mostly B's and C's, but her parents expected A's and nothing else was good enough. So she's still doctoring them up. She was accepted into Ryerson University. So even though she wasn't getting A's, she still got accepted into college. But she failed calculus her 12th grade year. So the college rescinded its invitation. Hmm. And she lied to her parents and told them that she was starting in the fall. When in reality, she never graduated high school. Listen, that's got to be super stressful because she's trying to make her parents proud. But she's also probably not getting the uh, support. I don't want to say support because I think I'm not saying her parents aren't supporting her. Mm -hmm. They're doing it in their own way. But maybe she's looking for more recognition and more acknowledgement and they're not doing that. Yeah. Okay. I get that. I meant like emotional support. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But um, I I get it because like I'm bad in math. I've always been bad in math. And it's frustrating for someone to try to help me with that. And I'm just staring at it and I'm like, I'm not getting it. It is the absolute most frustrating thing in the world. Mm-hmm. So like I'm lucky to where I think honestly my parents just kind of gave up. But, you know, they eventually they were like, okay, you know what? Don't fail. I don't want a D. I want at least a C. You know, I want to see that you're trying type thing. So mm-hmm. they were eventually like, okay, you suck at math. It is what it is. As long as you got a C. Yeah. Uh, they also had three kids. So by the time my little brother was born and he was making good grades, it was like, okay, cool. Focus on him. I'm just going to like graduate. Okay. He's the hope of the family. You oh, fuck yeah. up. We're done with you. Yeah. Yeah. Like, me and my older brother, we're done. We graduated. Cool. Bare minimum. Let's focus on this last child. He's our only hope. Yeah, they were like, these two were disappointments. Those were trial runs that failed. This one's going to be the one. Exactly. Thanks. Thanks, Nick. Took all that pressure off of us. Appreciate (laughs) it. It's the least you could do. So she told her parents that she had been accepted into Ryerson. And she would go there for two years. Because... Han wanted her to go to the University of Toronto. He wanted her to go into the medical field. He wanted her to be a pharmacist. That was his plan for her. She wanted to go for music, but she didn't get a say in the matter. Yeah. Listen, if your parents really want you to be a doctor, but you want to be a musician, be a musician if you're good at it. Yeah. And she, from what I could tell, she was good at piano. She, we're about to get into it now, but she eventually became a teacher and that was one of her jobs she would teach other people to play while her parents thought she was going to college taking the car you know waking up she actually went to cafes and libraries and she would take notes to keep up appearances that she was going to school all the effort i don't so much effort like detailed notes 
Well, this isn't the only story we've heard of someone doing this. I can't remember. I like I remember the story. It was when I did it, and it was from Utah. I can't remember their names right now. Um, but the the guy, he he kept up. It was when my dad was on. Um, but he kept up pretending that he was going to medical school. Yeah, I know who you're talking, and I can't think of the. I can't think of his name anymore. I'll figure out. Hold on. Give me two seconds. I can figure it out. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. Just give me a second. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. She would even like, she even bought school supplies and bought used textbooks and stuff. I just, I don't get it. Like it's, it's so much work and effort. And I just, I don't get it. For her, I would have to say she was just under a ridiculous amount of pressure because mm-hmm. like, you could literally be doing anything. I have never lied to my parents. Hold on, because I've definitely lied to my parents. <laughs> but not to this extent. Like right? she would she would go places with internet and she would take like detailed notes on like pharmacy related things. Those are that's super specific. Well, I don't get it. Also, Lori hacking case. Ah, hacking. Yes. I knew once you said it, I was going to be like, that's what that was. Yeah. I just, like, I don't get it. Look, I I don't think I'll ever get that because the amount of effort it takes to put in this this effort for this facade you've got going on, mm-hmm. it's just easier to be like, sorry, I'm not going to college. And all that effort she was putting in, mm-hmm. couldn't she have gone to, like, a community college, finished high school, like, put that effort towards something that's going to have an impact? See, that's what I didn't understand. Like, if you're going to take all these notes and stuff, okay, take those notes. But if you're going to lie to them about going to school, why didn't you try to get your GED or something? And right. then actually go to college. Right. I have, I, I have no I idea. Know. So, in the meantime, she picked up a job waiting tables in a restaurant that her parents did not know about. And she would also teach piano to earn money. And since she was commuting so far to college, she talked her parents into letting her stay with a friend named Topaz during the week. Because Topaz lived, Topaz is a real person, okay? Topaz lived near, like closer to campus. Do you want to guess what she was doing? Just guess where she was staying. I don't think she was staying with Topaz. She was not staying with Topaz. What was her little boy toy's name? Daniel Wong. Was she staying with him? She was staying with him. And his parents. I mean, all right. Yeah, he he still lived with his parents. His parents loved her. They, she, from what I read, she fought off, like, attempts from them to get her parents over for dinner so they could meet for years. Because she dated Daniel for, I think it was like seven years. They dated for a very long time, secretly. That's one hell of a time to date. Uh huh. Yeah, because remember, she was not allowed to date until after college. Her parents were very specific on that because it's a distraction. Well, they're a distraction. Daniel, he was working at a pizza restaurant and he was going to York University. He was also still selling weed from what, yeah. You know what? You got to make the money. I mean, yeah, you can't. You can't make enough money to go to York University at a pizza restaurant. I would imagine. I don't know. I dropped out of college. Wasn't for me. But you know what? It was expensive and I could not pay for it. If he's living with his parents, though, it's possible. First of all, they were helping him with college. I I would hope. I don't know. 
she eventually told her parents um, not the truth. She told them that she had received a scholarship and she was accepted into Toronto, the University of Toronto, in the pharmacology program. Han was so excited that he bought her a brand new laptop. Oh, the guilt had to have been eating at this girl. It, it had to have. Every time you opened it, you just got to be like, oh, because she it was also so ingrained in her. Don't disappoint my parents. And then they get her this shiny new laptop for mm-hmm. school. And she was like, oh, sh- OK. So she was only supposed to go to Ryerson for two years that she was going to go to Toronto. So it it come time for her to graduate. Right. Mm-hmm. Her parents were so, so proud of her for graduating college. And they were so excited to see her. But she told her parents that due to the overwhelming size of her graduating class, they would only give her one ticket to graduation. And she could not possibly decide on which parent would get that ticket. So she gave it to a friend. Okay, that's gotta be, that's gotta suck or sting for her parents then, like. You could have at least let us decide amongst ourselves. Well, it was a lie. So well, she I know. Let them decide. I know, but like the parents' mentality, like, yeah. Oh, they were. From what I read, they were heartbroken. Meanwhile, Jennifer and Daniel hired somebody online. Sounds like they ordered it online to create a fake transcript with all A's. Of course, got their own one A minus. Guys, make it believable. No, because that's unacceptable. Oh, okay. While, quote-unquote, attending University of Toronto, Jennifer told her parents that she was volunteering at the Hospital for Sick Children in Toronto. Her parents started getting a little suspicious here because she had been working there for a little while, and Han realized he had never seen a uniform, and he had never seen a hospital badge. One day, Han, he insisted on taking Jennifer to work. So he and Bick pulled up to the hospital. And as soon as the car stopped, Jennifer just booked it into the emergency room. And Bick followed her, but couldn't find her. Jennifer later claimed that she had hid in the waiting room in the uh, ER for hours until her parents went back home. God, he looked for her that long? Yeah. They they waited around, which like leads me to believe like he was, he was pretty suspicious. Yeah, he was he was on to her. Han called Topaz early the next morning and asked her, "Hey, you know, let me talk to Jennifer. Where's Jennifer?" And Topaz accidentally told him that Jennifer wasn't there. And in multiple sources, I I read or I saw whatever. I, Topaz would cover for her friend. One source said that when her parents called Topaz, Topaz would three-way call Jennifer and they would talk like they were in the same room together, or pretend they were in the same room together. Mm-hmm. But this morning, he called her and woke her up. So just she was sleepy and groggy and... She wasn't all there. Yeah, she kind of just let it slip. Mm-hmm. When Jennifer finally came home, Han was waiting for her and he confronted her and she finally told him she didn't volunteer at the hospital. She was never in the pharmacology program. She was staying with Daniel 
And she, they still don't know at this point that she had not graduated high school or went to Ryerson. But she did, she did tell them like, okay, I'm not going to college. I'm staying with my boyfriend. I mean, that takes a lot of balls, right? She's got, she's got a really. She's still definitely bit a bullet there. Oh, for sure. She maybe not, didn't do everything, but it was enough. I, I would think. I really think she could have just come out with one truth and still have been screwed. So the fact that she told them three, like a girl. She went for it. She was like, all right, these three things are weighing heaviest on me. So (laughs) Han was so mad when he, when she admitted this, he wanted to throw her out of the house and just completely disown her. But Bic calmed him down and convinced him to let her stay. So instead, she was forbidden from seeing Daniel. They took her phone and her laptop from her, and they only allowed her to use them under their supervision. And she had to go through random checks of her, especially her cell phone, of her messages and stuff like that. I get taking the laptop. I get that because she, I mean, she said she wasn't going to Ryerson. Yeah. I get that because that was like a gift for her because she was accepted into Ryerson. So I get that the parents would be like, well, you didn't really. Oh, wait, t- Toronto. I'm sorry, not Ryerson. Toronto. Oh, sorry, Toronto. Yeah. Um, so I, I get that, but I kind of, I don't know. I struggle with the Right, she was cell around phone. 24 at this time. I, well, I know. That's why I'm saying I'm struggling with the cell phone because she's a grown-ass yeah. adult. And not only that, they she had to quit her jobs except teaching piano. They let her do that one. But she said that Han was tracking the mileage on the car. Yeah. Okay. This feels, she was basically put under house arrest. It, this feels excessive for a grown ass woman. Yeah. She eventually got some of her freedom back and she enrolled in a course to get her final credit from high school. Whether or not her parents knew about this, uh, that varied per source. But, she it, she had tried, I guess. She she was trying to graduate. A for effort. Yes. Jennifer had still been secretly talking to Daniel during this time, too. And she would sneak to see him in between piano lessons. But one night, she snuck out of the house and arranged her blankets to look like she was still in bed. And went to go see him. And when Bick went to her bedroom the next morning, she found out she was missing. And it kind of just all blew up all over again. She was back on being super restricted. And around this time, Daniel just, he couldn't take it anymore. He was tired of sneaking around. He tried to tell her, like, just leave. You can live with me. My parents wouldn't care. But she could not bring herself to leave her family because she was raised to believe that family was so incredibly important. Right. So they did. They broke up when she was 24. But they remained friends. Not soon after, David started dating another girl. Daniel. I'm so sorry. I don't know who David is. Daniel started dating another girl not too much longer after they broke up. I get the feeling she doesn't take it well. Well, I'll I'll, I'll tell you about it. Okay, cool. The answer to that is no, she didn't take it well. (laughs) Is that what you read? Between the lines there? Yeah, between the lines, that's what I got. (laughs) Around spring of 2010, Jennifer reached out to an old friend that she used to talk to in high school, Andrew Montemayor. She claims in high school, 
He bragged about robbing people at knife point. Andrew said that never happened. But. Of course he's not going to admit it. He's like, I'm not stupid. Shut your face. Yeah. Or it could have been like, hey, yeah, I said that in high school, but I didn't do it. I was stupid. Shut up. I just really liked Amberly and I wanted to get with her. Stop it. And Amberly liked bad boys. Just watch yourself. God. They were friends in high school and they just kind of reconnected. And they seemed to kind of lead on each other a lot. They had a lot in common. Andrew, he didn't get along with his parents either, specifically his dad. His parents were very strict. And (laughs) one night when they were talking, Andrew kind of mentioned almost in passing to Jennifer that he had considered killing his dad um, because they just did not get along so well. And this, I think, just kind of put a bug in her ear, put a little light in the socket above her head. It's just so excessive. Yeah. Well, in Andrew's defense, yeah, he thought about it, but he never did it. Okay, but even at that, it's still so excessive. Uh, that can be you know what excessive that's a good word for this story so through talking about this Montemayor introduced Jennifer to Ricardo Duncan his roommate Jennifer claims that she gave Duncan $1,500 to shoot her father in the parking lot of his job and make it look random okay cool from what she says he took the money and he said he would call her later to hash out the details and they kind of talked back and forth for a couple months. And then he eventually just stopped recording her calls. And she was like, oh, he ripped me off. Well, duh. Yeah. Which, like, also, you go, Ricardo. He's like, yeah, I'll let her believe it for a minute. But watch this. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to turn down 1500 What are you going to do? Go to the cops and tell them you gave me $1,500 to kill your dad and I took off with your money? Duncan, he claims that Jennifer called him one night in hysterics asking him to kill her parents. And he was like, uh, no. He's like, what are you talking about? Yeah, he he actually said that he was offended and cut off contact with her. He did admit that she gave him $200 for a night out with friends just because he wanted to go hang out. And he said he paid her back for that. But that was the only time they, like, exchanged money or she gave him money. Right. So, eventually, after all this happens, both Andrew and Ricardo just, like... Bye? What? Yeah. They they just they let that bridge kind of crumble a little bit. And they stopped talking to her. Right. Jennifer, not being able to stay away from Daniel... She goes back to him, and she misses him. She wants him back. He is very happy with his current girlfriend. And like you said, she's not a fan of this. So she tells Daniel that a man came to her house and showed her a police badge. And when she let him into the house, a group of men barged in and gang-raped her in the foyer of her home. And then after this happened, a few days later, she received an envelope in the mail with a bullet inside of it. And she basically sent Daniel a text message saying, hey, tell your girlfriend, fine, I get the message. I'll leave you alone. She can have you. That's an ex- that's one hell of a stretch there of tell your girlfriend <laughs> this happened or she yeah. did this or whatever. 
she pinned this all on her and was like, she's doing this to have me leave you alone. So fine. I'm out. Um, well, this kind of led them to rekindle some old flame, I guess. Um, Look, Jennifer was super manipulative, so she knew how to get what she wanted. And I think she kind of played on Daniel's heartstrings a little bit because Mm he, I mean, they dated for seven years. He's going to harbor feelings for this girl. Right. So they start talking again, and he got worried that her parents would find out. So he gave her a secret iPhone. Around this time, she told Daniel that she had a plan for them to live happily ever after. I don't like the sounds of this. It's not great. They would take a hit out on both of her parents. They would get what she estimated to be about $500,000 in life insurance, which would be her half split between her and her brother. Mm -hmm. And then they would just live together and be happy. Oh, um, well, not to be the person that like, you know, ruins that little fantasy. That's just not how things work. And so is it not? No, it, unfortunately, that's just not how that's going to work out. Oh. Huh. Did they know that? I don't think they knew that. Oh, okay. Because it worked out drastically different for them. It allegedly took some convincing, but Daniel eventually put her in contact with Lenny Crawford. They referred to him as Homeboy, or they called him Homeboy. And this is someone that Daniel knew through his... I guess, crime connection through drug dealing. They made a deal on August 18th, 2010. Homeboy would act as a middleman and find the hitman who would kill her parents. She was believed to have agreed to pay about $10,000 for both parents when she got the life insurance back. Does that not feel really cheap? $10,000 for both parents? For both, yeah, like $5,000 apiece. Oh, that's, that's really weird. It's It sounds really cheap. Like, that's not enough. For me, I don't know what the going rate is to kill somebody, and I'm also not asking. So, FBI listening through my phone, that's <laughs> not the point of this question. It just feels like that's not enough. It just doesn't seem like, at least, listen, I would be like, listen, I'm risking prison time, and it, you're only going to offer this much? No thanks. Like, that. That's not even going to get me a car. What is that going to do? Right. Certainly not pay my bail if I don't get away with this. And I'm probably not going to get away with this. For $10,000, y'all, you're not going to get away with this. I just, I don't, I don't quite get that. Well, you get what you pay for. Oh, okay. By October, Homeboy had found three men willing to commit the murders. They allegedly scoped out the house on Halloween which is just eerie. They were thought to just kind of blend in with all the kids and people trick-or-treating. And meanwhile, they were like just planning and plotting. They scheduled the home invasion for November 3rd. Oh, they're scheduling. Yeah, I hate that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I left that in there specifically. The night before this was supposed to go down on November 2nd, Daniel texts Jennifer That he was in love with his girlfriend and he was unwilling to leave her for Jennifer. So Jennifer, she saw no point in killing her parents if Daniel didn't want to be together. She didn't want to be alone. So she told him to call it off. Just cancel it. But the next day they rekindled their romance again and the hit was rescheduled for November 8th. 
These people are probably like, make up your mind. Do not break up before November 8th. He's like, y'all, just just tell me what to do and give me my money. Right. I don't know anything about being a hitman, but I bet these are the worst clients. They're like, oh my God, they're they're messaging me again. Can somebody take care of this? I can't handle it today. Yes. They were like, homeboy, what did you get me into? And homeboy's like, hey, just listen about how much you're going to get. You know what? I didn't even think of that. Listen to how much you're going to get. $10,000 split three ways. Was that $3,325, something like that? We don't even know if that's the way that he's paying it, though. Because homeboy could just be like, listen. He gets a finder's fee. Yeah. That's just, oh my God. This is, oh, I hate it. For so many reasons. On November 8th at about 10 p.m., 53-year-old Bick was watching TV and she was soaking her feet. She had just got home from her line dancing class. Felix, he was at university, so he was not home at this time. And Han was already asleep in bed. Jennifer told her mother goodnight, and on the way to her room, she unlocked the front door, went upstairs, and there is security footage from the neighbors across the street of lights being clicked on, on and off upstairs. And then there's footage of a few minutes later, three figures walking into the front of the house. Oh, I hate that so it's much. so eerie. Minutes later, David Milovganum, Linford Crawford, and Eric Carty entered the house. One of the men pointed their gun at Bick. One ran upstairs. Han woke up that night to see a gun pointed at him. Oh, that'd be the worst. The man then directed him back downstairs with Bick. Jennifer told police that Cardi tied her hands with a shoelace and directed her around the house where she gave them about $3,600 in cash before they took her to the kitchen to look for Bick's wallet. One of the men downstairs asked Han where the money was. And after getting only $60 from his wallet, he pistol whipped him and called him a liar. And while this is happening, Bick was continually begging them not to hurt her daughter. Meanwhile, Cardi took Jennifer back upstairs and tied her to the banister with her hands behind her back. Bick and Han were taken to the basement. Han was shot once in the shoulder and then in the face. And Han was shot, or excuse me, Bick was shot two times in the head. After this, the police ran out the front door. The police ran out the front door? Nope, sorry. The, <laughs> the men ran out the front door. I'm sorry, I was getting a, um, I have a video. Oh, God. It's mainly just, um, we'll get to it. Okay, let me share my screen. I know you love these. Okay. Uh-huh. First of all, I'm okay. Obviously, I know that she was lying. Like her acting is real good in that. Granted, she might have been afraid. Like the reality of it all sinking in. But the dispatcher, I was kind of surprised. Like I know they were just trying to get the address, but kind of was not a fan of the dispatcher there. She didn't really. I feel like they're supposed to stay calm or something, and she didn't really feel like she was. I don't know, I, but I feel like she was kind of like. I don't want to say uninterested, but she kind of some at some points her tone kind of came off as inconvenienced. Like, oh, I have to ask you again for this. Yeah. Okay. I can see that. My main takeaway from this is like, she sounds really convincing. Yeah. Especially when she's 
So obviously I know you guys aren't hearing this, but in the in the audio clip, she's you hear her dad yelling and you hear her yelling back like I'm okay, I'm okay or I don't even know what she was saying and she also switched to Vietnamese. Vietnamese? Did I yeah, say that Vietnamese. right? Vietnamese. Um, yeah. Either way, you still hear her like it, she does sound super super panicked. So it's I don't know, it just was really really I don't know, knowing that she paid for it um I wonder if like the reality of everything somewhat set in and she was actually panicked or if it was all an act. See what I believe and what a lot of other people believe too is that that panic was just real because her dad, spoiler alert, he does live. He was not supposed to. So that might have been just real panic. Like, oh my God, now what? Han woke up covered in blood and he ran outside. He actually ran into his neighbor who called 911 and police and paramedics arrived on the scene within minutes. And Han was airlifted to the hospital. Police interviewed Jennifer starting that night at like 3 a.m. But they interviewed her multiple times and they quickly found out that her story wasn't adding up for a couple of reasons. Mostly, why was she, she was completely unharmed. Mm -hmm. This is supposed to be a home invasion and a robbery gone wrong where two people, one person died, one person was very critically injured and the other one was not even a scratch. She was just tied up upstairs. They also wondered, okay, you stole all this money. You're here to steal, but you ran right past a Lexus and a Mercedes outside. You didn't take the cars. But if you're smart enough, you're not going to take the cars because license plates can be tracked. That's what I would think. Like, what am I going to do with a car? Maybe criminals know. I don't know. Maybe they know somebody. But I'm not going to take a car. I'm not going to break into a house either. We're obviously not criminals here. Yeah. I don't know. Criminals, how does this work? Let us know. Shoot us an email. Yeah. Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, police also found it really strange that there was no force entry into the house. What really broke this case wide open because the police, they suspected Jennifer, but they had, they had nothing. They had no proof, no concrete evidence. They really didn't even have a reason to investigate her other than these weird hunches, I guess you could call them. But... All this changed when Han woke up from his induced coma on November 12th. He had a broken bone near his eye. There were bullet fragments in his face that doctors were unable to remove. He had a shattered neck bone and his complete memory of what happened that night. Well, shit. Yeah. He told police that he remembered seeing Jennifer talking with one of the men. He said they were chatting like they were friends. And he said that she was not tied up while she was being led around the house. The next interview, Jennifer told police that, because the next interview, police were like, hey, we know you're lying. Like, come on. So she told police that, okay, what really happened? Get into the nitty gritty now. Yes. She, she never meant for them to kill her parents. She wanted to kill herself. But she just couldn't do it. She couldn't bring herself to end her life. So she intended for this attack to be an elaborate suicide plot. They were supposed to come in and kill her. But she tried to call it all off. 
And there was just a misunderstanding where her parents were harmed and she wasn't. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's yeah. totally normal. Now, police, shockingly, they weren't born yesterday and they didn't believe this at all. Are you sure they weren't born yesterday? Because, you know, uh, they, they should have to buy this story. I mean, that's what the sources said, but I didn't check their driver's licenses or their birth certificates, so it, they could be wrong. They analyzed Jennifer's phone records, and in the spring of 2011, they also arrested Daniel, Malakanon, Cardi, and Crawford. Well, Daniel should have stayed with your other girlfriend. Yeah, really. I bet she was like, boy, I don't want to use that cliche. She was like, boy, I'm glad we didn't go the distance in this relationship. Boy, I oughta. Yeah, boy, I oughta. All five of these criminals, I don't even know what to call it. Like, this is just, this is bonkers to me. All five of these peoples were charged with first-degree murder, conspiracy to commit murder, and attempted murder. Their trial was March 19th, 2014, and it lasted almost 10 months. There was more than 50 witnesses, and Jennifer herself took the stand for a week. She basically got up there and tried to tell them, you know, this isn't what happened. It's not what it seems like, even though they had all her phone records. So they had the text messages between Jennifer and Daniel and Daniel and Cardi or Daniel and Crawford and Jennifer and Crawford. They had everything. Yeah. Um, they were found guilty as hell. Jennifer was charged with first-degree murder, which she was sentenced to life with no chance of parole for 25 years. And for attempted murder, she was given a life sentence served concurrently. Daniel, 25 years old at the time. Malavganam, 22 years old. And Crawford, 28 years old. They were all given the same sentence. So they're all serving life sentences. 30-year-old Eric Cardi, his trial was postponed because his lawyer got sick in the middle of it. But he eventually pled guilty, and he was given 18 years for conspiracy to commit murder. But he is the only one that I could find any kind of update on in this story, and unfortunately it's not a great one. He was found dead in his cell of a believed stabbing in June of 2018. I'm not really sure what a believed stabbing is, uh, but that's what the website told me. All right. But that is the very long, I'm sorry, story of Jennifer Pan. It's okay. I knew you were going to find one to just really mess with me. Yeah, here it is. Oh, I don't like it. It's Uh, just so hard because I get that, like, growing up, her parents mm -hmm. were really strict and they had this ideal and she probably felt like she couldn't live up to it. But at the same time... I don't think they were being malicious about it. Like, I really, truly think her parents just wanted the best for her. Yeah, and that's the, that's kind of the hard part of it. Like, it it kind of, it's kind of ironic in a really dark way. Because she, in her mind, I guess, went this route because she didn't want to lose her family. That was the that was the ultimatum she kept constantly being given. You can have Daniel or you can disappoint your family. And she didn't want to disappoint her family, so she chose to kill them. But in the end, she killed her mother, who always seemed to kind of be on her side, at least a little bit more than her father. 
And her father and her brother completely cut her off and stopped talking to them. Rightfully so. Yeah. I read that while she was... Now, how long it lasted, I wasn't sure. But at least during the trial, the five of the murderers were not allowed to talk to each other. And Jennifer was not allowed to speak to her family either. And they have just completely disowned her. Well, I mean, rightfully so. Mm -hmm. But you went through all this trouble not to disappoint your family. And like, how do you, oh oh my God, just. I just, and I I get that she likely felt like this was her only escape as well. But I don't don't like it. I just, I I can't comprehend. I can't, I don't understand how it's just like, why not just leave? Why would you choose to kill him? Right. But if I, you're gonna be without him, just leave. Right. I don't I don't know. Because I just think I think it's it's hard because I don't think she realizes that even if she cut her parents out temporarily, they probably would have come around eventually. Yeah. Or there's at least the possibility of it. Right? Like cut them out, live your life, become happy, be be your own success. Mm-hmm. And your parents are likely going to come around because, you know. Yeah, they're your parents. So, I don't know. His father, or excuse me, her father was quoted as saying, too, that he lost his wife and his daughter the same night. He did. Mm-hmm. Though I think he lost his daughter sooner than that. Yeah. He just, I guess, didn't know it. Well, do you want a story? That would be great. Bryce, what is this <laughs> what right. am i looking at <laughs> okay so remember how a while back i bought a whole bunch of books uh-huh well yeah like what do you mean last week last <laughs> month last year it, it was last year okay um i'm pretty sure your house is made of books oh god if it could be it would be <laughs> <laughs> i can't afford that many books so so I decided, you know what? It's time to break out a book that I haven't broke out in a while. And we don't really do a lot of topics like this. And I don't really know how I feel about this being in this book, but I'm going to take it. So I broke out my Cursed Objects book. Oh, okay. It's been a while. I think we've only done one Cursed Object. Uh Uh-huh. I think so. the, The Conjuring Chest, something like that. But I brought out the book and I got some inspiration. And I think I found a good one. This is so, an object? I, I kind of struggled with the word object, but it's in my Cursed Objects book. So we're going with it. Yeah, so we're going with it. So we're going to take you back in time just a little bit. We're going to go to the year 1991. You, I was one. Okay, cool. <laughs> you are a German hiker on vacation with your husband. Whoa, I'm married at one? <laughs> Holy crap. Okay. I'm sorry, we're using imagination here. <laughs> oh, okay. So sorry, forgot to mention that. <laughs> but you are hiking the Otsal Alps. So you're hiking up in the Alps. And this is, you're on the border between Austria and Italy. And you get to about 10,530 10, feet when something catches your eye. From at 10,000 feet in the, okay. Now you are, you're on the ground. Yeah, right. but I'm like above sea level or whatever on this mountain. Yeah. Look, is that ice? I mean, yes, but a corpse catches your eye. 
that would appears catch my to be fr- eye. Yeah, it appears to be frozen. That is the first picture, by the way. That's a corpsicle. <laughs> it's something like that. Um, but what would you do if you came across this? As a one-year-old, I'd probably try to eat it. <laughs> okay. As an adult in 1991. Poke it or with even- a stick. Okay. Uh, they don't do that, to my knowledge. Oh, okay. <laughs> they they did that. They 100% did that. They 100% took a picture, and that's the first picture that you see. Okay. Now, on September 19th, 1991, German couple Helmut and Erica, I don't know if I'm saying his name correctly, and I'm so sorry. It's H-E-L-M-U-T. Helmut. Helmut? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> September 19th, 1991, German couple Helmut and Erica... They stumble on a really extraordinary find, and they find the preserved corpse in the mountains, or this preserved corpse in the mountains. What they did not know is that this corpse would go on to be an estimated more than 5,300 years old. Oh. Yeah. 5,300 years old. Yes. Oh. And it's been, well, I guess it's been here for... 5,300 years. years. Yeah, Ooh, approximately. Okay. Now, people are astonished with this find, especially since most believe that it was like a more recent hiker that had unfortunately succumbed to the mountain or the elements. So they didn't realize the significance. They didn't realize at the time how old this was. No one had expected it to be as old as it was. Now, this corpse was so well-preserved that reports stated you could still make out tattoos on its skin, which I did include a picture. Whoa. So, I did include a picture. You can actually see pretty dang well some of those tattoos. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's it's real preserved. Now, they would go on to name this, this corpse as Utsi, the Iceman. What? Utsi? Let's see after the the mountain range it was on. Ah, okay. I, at least that's the pronunciation that I got. I know it's not Otsi, and I know it's not Utsi. It's Utsi. Okay, Utsi. Okay. So they name him Utsi. Now, when Helmut and Erica Simon had found Utsi, his upper body was visible outside of the ice. He's exposed on his upper half, and his lower half was frozen beneath the ice. So they report what they found to the owner of a local mountain cabin. Obviously, they don't know the importance of this. They're just hiking. The owner would go on to report this to both the Austrian and Italian authorities because they don't know whose side of the mountain it's on. They just report it. Right. Now, when teams were finally able to get out there to recover recover this Utsi, on, and this was on Monday, September 23rd, they were a little delayed just due to weather on the mountain, so they had to wait. But they really didn't know what they were walking into. They didn't know how how significant this find would come to be. Here's the other thing that in most articles that really threw me off is finding bodies that melted out of the ice in the Alps was not really uncommon. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm not saying it's common, at, at least at the time, but it had happened before. It just wasn't so common that they were so well-preserved. And as old as they were so really again it's just a really big find because they're like first of all how is this thing so so well preserved how is it not destroyed how how the hell was it was it naked no well 
I mean, it might have been, but they did find like its furs, like its coat, boots, all that, that they've restored. Like they have the full collection, hat and everything. So everything basically preserved. That is wild. Basically. Now, I mean, there are damage. There's damage to some things, right? Like there's some damage. You could hold it up and be like, oh, this was a loincloth. Yes. Yep. They could figure that out. That's, That's crazy. Yeah. So what really made them realize at first that this is this was so old is when an archaeologist found a copper axe on Utsi. And that's when they're like, oh my gosh, this is really, really significant. And so they're like, wow, this is crazy. And again, along with Utsi, they do find a bunch of things. Like they find the frame for his backpack, his bow and the quivers, his hat, his clothing. Like they find all these different artifacts scattered near him. Not like immediately, but they're kind of in the general area. And they find all these things. They eventually go on to excavate the gully that he was found in in 1992. Because of the winter, they had to wait a little bit of time. Mm-hmm. And they did recover additional artifacts, fragments, and they would also take a large number of samples from the area. Because, you know, they want to know more. Now, you might wonder, how did Utzi get there? And how was he so well preserved? I do wonder that. Well, no one's really sure, right? Like, 5,000 years is a long time. Yeah, I wasn't here yet. No. Not even a glimmer in my mother's eye. Like No. Why would I be a glimmer in your mother's eye? Well, I was talking about me being a glimmer in my mother's okay. eye. That makes more sense. Yeah. Got you. I'm with you. You were not a glimmer in your mother's eye. Okay, yes. So, there's one theory called the disaster theory. It was presented in 1993, a couple years after the discovery. In this theory, Utsi was believed to have fled across the mountains in the summer, late summer, early fall time frame. And there was some sort of a violent encounter and Utsi would die in the snow and the ice-free gully. And at the time, the, th- the thought was there was no ice or snow in this gully. Like, the- it was warm. There was nothing there. And in this theory, it most commonly was stated that, yeah, he had a violent encounter, but he would ultimately succumb to hypothermia. Okay. Since he likely died alone and kind of unexpectedly, his remains would stay on the surface. He would never be properly buried. And essentially, because of this, he would become freeze-dried. That's horrible. Oh, my God. Every time, every time I give Annie a peach, a peach, a freeze-dried peach, every time she gets a potty peach, I'm going to think of Utsi. Utsi, I'm sorry. Well, with him becoming freeze, and I'm going to tell you, almost every article I read said the terminology freeze-dried. So I hate that when it comes to a a human being. That's right. That's horrible. Oh my God. It's awful. But because of that, it does allow for the preservation of his body. And then you would have the snowfall that would bury his body in this gully and all the artifacts found. Sometime later, a glacier would cover the area, burying him and his goodies for five millennia. And because he was in this gully, you know, it goes down. He was actually provided some protection from the glacier, so it wasn't able to crush and destroy his remains. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, Yeah. at least that's the theory, right? Then as the snow and ice melted over the years, he would eventually be unearthed and found perfectly preserved. In 2003, this theory does change a little bit because in 2003, archaeologists, biologists, whatever ologist it was, (laughs) they do some x-rays and other imaging on him. And they find a spearhead embedded into one of his shoulders. 
Oh. This changes that Utzi's cause of death was not hypothermia, but murder. So most articles stated that this showed that he was shot in the back with an arrow. Oh my gosh. Justice for Utzi, okay? For real. <laughs> now again, this is just one theory. No one is sure how this happened. And you'll see that that theory had a lot of really extraordinary coincidences that all lined up, right? And a lot of people just don't believe it. They're like, there's got to be something else, blah, blah, blah. You have a lot of experts that are like, there's no way he died in the summer and fall. He had have died spring, early summer. Uh, how long he's been out there. A lot of places think that his body did not start there. It actually was moved. Some theories suggest that his body was moved by the glacier. So there's a lot of theories. However, the theory I just talked about is like the most widely accepted. And it's kind of become Utsi's Utsi's story, you know? Yeah. So no one's sure, but, you know, we're lucky to have him now. Well, to some extent. Oh. Now, now the team of experts that would go to begin, first of all, getting Utsi and studying him, um, they begin analyzing and they analyze anything and everything that they can think to analyze. Doesn't matter what it is. They're running tests on it, right? His stomach contents. They were able to... I knew this would get you. I know another one that's going to get you too. But they were able to analyze his stomach contents. What was it? Did he bison? Tell me. So the contents of his stomach led experts to believe that he had died in March. So he didn't really have digested, like a full digested food or anything. But there was pollen from hop hornbeam found in his stomach. Say that again. What? Pollen from hop hornbeam. Okay. I know exactly what that is. I don't know what it is, but I didn't Google it either. So <laughs> they find this pollen in his stomach and experts are like, well, that's really weird because this pollen, in order for it to be in his stomach, he would have had to, you know, eaten something, breathed it in, something like yeah. that. But that pollen is produced in March and April timeframe in the area. So how would he have succumbed or died in late summer, early fall? How much pollen do you think is in your stomach right now? Not too much. Um, they also did some examination of like some of the his contents with him, and they found fresh preserved maple leaves. Maple leaves. Yeah. What's he gonna do with those? I have no clue. Yeah. They analyzed his genome sequence and traced his relatives. I love this. Okay. Now this is something I didn't know they could do, but they diagnosed his diseases. Did you know what? they could do that? Did he know? <laughs> what did he have? Tell me, did he have I, asthma? He did not. Oh. I knew you were going to ask what he was diagnosed with. So he had Lyme disease, <gasps> gallstones, <gasps> oh, and a parasitic gut worm of some sort, tapeworms, hookworm, or something of that nature. And they didn't even get rid of the pollen? I was useless. Other than that, from what they could test and figure out, he was relatively healthy. Oh, okay. Except for the tapeworm. You're good. Except for the tapeworm, you're fine. And the Lyme Lyme disease disease. and the gallstones. Don't worry about it. You're relatively healthy. Look, you've got a tapeworm and you got bit by a couple ticks. But other than that, you're good to go. Okay. Just got it. Yeah. The gallbladder, gallstone, those are hurt a little bit, but it's fine. You're fine. It's fine. Yeah. Eat your maple leaves. You're good. They were also able to get an estimate of about how old he was. Was he 56? He was about 45 years old. 11 years off. Dang. 
He's a rough 45. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Probably Lyme disease. In his defense, you didn't see him in his full glory. Uh, I'm seeing a little bit of glory here. <laughs> well, like I said, they just tested anything and everything they could think of, right? Because this is this is really significant. This can advance a lot of, like, their studies can do so much, um, especially to learn about the past. And so they they test everything. Now, after the discovery of Utsi, there's a little bit of a dispute over him. Custody dispute. Uh, I had a feeling. <laughs> Both Austrian and Italian authorities had been notified, but who gets, let's see, who gets custody? Cut him in half. God, we're not doing that. (laughs) (laughs) Experts, they actually go on, examine the mountain to determine whose side of the mountain Utsi was found in. Would you like to guess whose side of the mountain he was found in? What is it, Italy or Austria? Yeah. Hmm. 50-50 right here. I want it to be Austria, but I'm going to say Italy. Yes, officially Utsi was found on the Italian side. Sorry, Austria. I tried, y'all. I know. I rooted for you too, Austria. I don't even know why either, but... <laughs> I know, I was like, too. for some reason, Austria feels like the underdog in this situation for me. Because Italy has pizza and pasta. And don't yeah. they have the Leaning Tower of Pisa? Yep, which yes. I thought as a kid was the Leaning Tower of Pizza, and that's why pizza was from Italy. Oh, they also have Venice. Like, they've got enough. Like, give it to Austria. It's fine. Mm -hmm. Anyways, so because of that, Utsi is officially on display in Italy. So you're able to go and visit Utsi in Bolzano, Italy, at the South Tyrol Museum of Archaeology. All of Utsi and his artifacts are on display there. They did do as much repair, restoring to his artifacts as they could. So from what I understand, they did a really good job restoring his artifacts. And he is on such a large display that reports state that he takes up three floors that are dedicated to him. How tall is this man? (laughs) He's not tall. It's just these three floors are dedicated to him and his artifact and his history. How do you spread something out like that? I got to go to Italy. (laughs) I got to Italy. (sighs) I don't know. Maybe we don't want to go to Italy after I finish this. But Uh he is... Utsi is stored in a very specially designed cold cell, so if you want to look at him, you have to view him through a small window, which is also pictured. This poor guy just can't get out of the cold. Well, they want to keep preserving him, so they kind of have to. I'm sorry, Utsi. Now, you might be asking, how is any of this paranormal? Because we're not, clearly we're not going to figure out who murdered Utsi, justice for Utsi, but... I have a question before we get to the paranormal. I'm sorry. Okay. The question I was actually thinking of asking is why are his hands so big Um, have you noticed like in the computer generated image and in the picture of him and his little hole he's got some really big hands i don't even think i noticed oh i don't know why i noticed that but he's got like but it could be i think he's from the copper age so you know that thing um that darwin discovered why am i like i have no i thought you were going to tell me lyme disease i don't know it's not creation. Evolution. I couldn't oh, think of the word. Okay. <laughs> Could just be evolution. I don't really know why yeah. his hands. But when you look at the picture of his body, like his hands don't look that big. They still kind of look big. But then again, he doesn't really have any forearms. So I'm thinking that might be why. Well, he's a hunter, you know, so leave Utsi alone. Hey, I'm just curious. Okay. Yeah. He would be great at basketball. I am not not an archaeologist. I am just telling you what I read on the internet. Um, so, and I didn't read anything about his hands. Okay. So, 
if that answers your question. Yes. But now I want to know why he's paranormal. Okay. <laughs> so obviously we're not discovering who murdered him. It's not true crime. Also, it was over 5,000 years ago. I don't think we have the DNA evidence to prove it. Granted, yeah. you're going to like something that comes up later with that. Well, Utsi is paranormal because if you hadn't caught on, I said we pulled Utsi from the book Cursed Objects. Uh-huh. Utsi's believed to be cursed. Yeah, because he just wants to be laid to rest. <laughs> Not kept freeze-dried for another 5,300 years. <laughs> He's like, leave me alone. I was fine where I'm at, okay? Yes. I don't want to be jerky forever. Well, this is a curse that is said to have taken seven victims in one year. And he still got three <laughs> floors at the museum? <laughs> We're just ushering more people into this? Come on in. Come look at yeah. it. Look um, at your own risk. Well, okay. Now, I just want to state, most sources stated that he had seven victims in one year. I had a couple of sources that spread that out more but the more reliable sources were one year so just throwing it out that the sources that i read say one year so not a free killer but definitely a serial killer yeah basically okay so now most state that the curse would begin to show itself in 2004 but i disagree because a couple of victims would be diagnosed with health issues not long studying let's see so to me the curse started a little sooner it only started taking its victims in 2004 boy he is a hunter isn't he oh yeah it's, i'm just calling this a slow burn curse okay <laughs> now this curse would begin to take its victims in 2004 and the first victim is not really who i expected it to be do you want to take a guess at who the first victim might be helmet yeah, yeah it actually is oh no <laughs> what did he do Helmet. So, okay, one more thing I forgot to know is, I didn't forget to know, I skipped over the bullet. Some of these victims might be out of order. Again, I had different dates for different victims. I tried to follow the news articles on the order of the victims because those were the more consistent ones. Okay. But if they're out of order, I'm sorry, I'm doing my best. But back to Helmut. I don't know if I'm saying his name right, and I'm so sorry. But the German couple that found him. Well, Helmut would return to the same area, and he was actually a little bit bitter about the discovery of Utsi. Why? Because he wasn't recognized or financially compensated in any way. Okay, look. What do, what do you want? Recognition and financial compensation. Com- you got this man put in a cold <laughs> box for the rest of his eternity until he turns to dust. I don't think he's going to be too happy with you, bro. I mean, here's the other part, though, is if everyone else is benefiting and he he just wants to benefit, you know, financially. I mean, I guess I get that. But if he wasn't 5,300 years old and he was only 30 years frozen, would you go to his family and be like, hey, I found your husband, brother, cousin, father, whatever. I found your person. Yeah, I found your person and I want to be financially compensated. It just like I get it, but at the same time, it's like bad taste in my mouth. I think it's more like the researchers were financially compensated in some way, or at least mm-hmm. that's what he likely understood. I didn't read anything about them being financially compensated. I just assumed they were because they continued to study him, right? 
I will say at the very least, the museum could be like, hey, these people found him. At the very least, put their names on a plaque. Okay, but also I'm over here reading about him. Like I've given them credit for finding him. Yeah, but anybody that goes into the museum is like, whoa, that guy's real old. They don't know that the German couple found him. I don't know that because it might say who discovered him. Oh, okay. Well, I hope it does. I don't know. But anyways, Mr. Simon here. He would die during a freak blizzard at the age of 67 in the same mountains near where Utsi had been discovered. He had actually taken a 300-foot fall to his death. Mister. And then froze. Hell no. From the blizzard. What was he doing in a blizzard at 67? To my understanding, it wasn't expected. Like, he wasn't expecting this blizzard. He was out hiking enjoying his time and then blizzard let's see what did you do well to add a little spooky element that a lot of sources kind of worded this way is that the mountain was replacing utzi (gasps) but they found him right yes they did find his remains they were able to recover him not today mountains not that we're aware of yeah okay fair so they find him, they recover him, they do his funeral. Just an hour after the funeral for Helmut, the curse would take its second or its believed second victim. Dieter Warnick had led the rescue team in the search for Helmut. And he would die of a heart attack just an hour after Helmut's funeral. This guy was only 45 years old. What is happening? I don't know. Now, to my understanding, these first two victims, they passed in late 2004. In early 2005, a lead archaeologist would then fall victim. Conrad Spindler, he had been a lead archaeologist studying Utsi. He was also the man that we can credit with the disaster theory that I spoke about earlier. So that was his theory, his words. He came out with that in 1993. According to reports, Spindler, Spindler, had been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis shortly after he began studying Utsi. So he's one of those ones that I'm saying it's a slow burn curse. In 2005, at the age of 55 years old, Spindler would die due to complications from the multiple sclerosis. So everyone's pretty young, too. Yes, everyone's relatively young. Like, there's no one that's 98 or anything like that. Like, oh my God. Next is a forensic examiner, Rainer Hen. He was on his way to give a lecture. He had previously examined Utsi. In fact, he had reportedly placed Utsi in a body bag while on the mountain. Let me add to this. He placed Utsi in this bag with his bare hands. Okay. What are you, (laughs) raised in a barn? What year was this? He was found again? 91? 91. We know better. And also, wasn't it cold? I mean, it was... Summer. It was September, so it was warm-ish. Not freezing, but maybe the gloves were in his way. I assume it was still, like, somewhat cold. We're still in the mountains. I don't know. He was going for it. Maybe he was born and raised. The cold didn't bother him anyway. Okay, calm down, <laughs> Elsa. First off. Second off, put some damn gloves on, you heathen. Look at you just, look at you just touching old bodies and stuff. What are you? That's gross. That's okay. gross. That's reportedly. Okay, I don't know the accuracy. I'm just saying reportedly he did. Well, if you wear gloves, you can't reportedly just be touching stuff with your bare (laughs) hands. Now, 
Rainer Hen was on his way to a lecture, and on his way, he would perish in a really tragic car accident. He had reportedly been on his way to give a lecture about Utsi. Oh, and no. He died at the age of 64. Still young. So, really unfortunate. A man named Kurt Fritz, he would be the next victim. He had been part of the team that originally recovered Utsi. Carl had organized the helicopter transport of Utsi off of the mountain. Now, Carl, he was like a climbing expert. Like, he helped navigate people up to Utsi as well. Like, he was... He was pretty pretty good at mountains, right? He was, he was, a, he was good at mountaining. <laughs> good okay. at mountaining, okay. Now, Kurt would tragically be caught in an avalanche, and he would die at the age of 52. What is odd about this, or what's noted as really odd about this, is that Kurt was really familiar with the area that, they, that he was climbing in. But also, he was with a party of climbers, and yet he was the only one to pass. He was the only one with any injuries that I could find as well. That was going to be what I asked. That is really weird. Is it possible that he, like, since he was, like, possibly a guide and maybe more knowledgeable, that he put himself in harm's way at the risk of one of the other people? I didn't see anything about it. I mean, it's obviously possible. I don't know. I wasn't there. But it was also an area he was really familiar with. Mm Mm-hmm. And to my understanding, he was with a group of experienced climbers. Oh. To my understanding. I don't think he was necessarily a guide. He more maybe had a team Mm -hmm. of very experienced people with him. At least that's how I understood it. So. It also feels, too, like if he got caught in an avalanche, that kind of feels, again, like the mountains trying to replace Utsi. Yeah, it's like, get your ass back here. Yeah. Yeah. When recovering Utsi, a filmmaker would document the whole recovery and the team, right? Unfortunately for Rainer Holes, he was just a little too close to the action. He was a journalist and a filmmaker, and he would actually document the retrieval of Utsi. He was also the only journalist filmmaker that had been granted permission to film. Oh, that's a big deal. I bet he was pretty close. Right. And he would die from a brain tumor at the age of 47. Oh my gosh. He was reportedly, or this was reportedly, so he died reportedly a month after he released an hour-long documentary of Utsi's excavation. I'm getting the, the heebie-jeebies, the goosebumps here. The goosebumps, the bumps of goose, the yeah. peace. Yeah, I'm getting the, well, human, the people bumps. Well, the next and final victim is Tom Loy. Tom was a molecular biologist who studied Utsi. He actually, because of his contributions, he was able to identify four different types of blood on Utsi's clothing and tools. It was, it was Tom's discovery that actually changed the way the OG narrative of a hunting accident to a scuffle came to light. So because he found these four different types of blood, it was, okay, this was not a hunting accident. This was definitely something more violent. So that was his contribution. Now, Tom had been diagnosed with a blood condition not long after he would examine Utsi. He would pass at the age of 63 due to complications from this blood condition. According to reports, he was also writing a book and almost done with this book about Utsi at the time of his death. So 
he found blood evidence that literally changed the course of history here uh-huh. and then died from a blood disease. Yes. I don't like that at all. I don't either. So has anybody touched Utsi in a while? Not that I'm aware of. I don't think they should. I think his caretakers probably go in, make sure he's okay. But again, I don't think they go in often. I could just imagine them like opening the door and being like, y'all right? (laughs) You need anything? Okay. Check back next year. I don't think they even open the door. I think they knock on the glass in the window, <laughs> put a sign up like that says, Taylor you, good? <laughs> you good, bro. <laughs> I think that's probably more likely what happened, right? I would hope so. Yeah. I'm surprised Zach Bagans hasn't tried to buy him yet. He's probably tried <laughs> several times. He's probably trying at the moment. <laughs> now, Ussi is older than the Egyptian pyramids and Stonehenge. What? Yes. Hold on. Okay, because you just put a lot into perspective here. Because, like, I knew he was old. Yeah. But damn. Is there anything uh, in history? Okay, that's probably a dumb question. But, like, <laughs> what is older than him? Um, not, not Stonehenge. Dead Sea Scrolls, maybe? <laughs> I have no idea. There, there's some. I didn't look at yeah. what was older than him. I only looked for the... Things that weren't older than him. That's, that's, whoa. Okay. Yeah, well, you got me. I got you. Yeah. Now, the real question is, could Utsi be cursed? Or were these deaths just a string of unfortunate coincidences? Or was Utsi the Iceman angry from being disturbed after 5,300 years? Both. Oh, And also, I'm sorry, I called his hands large. His hands are perfectly... Uh, perpendicular? No, that's not the word. Perfectly, uh, proportionate. Proportionate. Yes, perfectly proportionate to the rest of his body. He looks great. He is, um, he's fit. Love the way he's posing in this picture. He looks wonderful. Yes. So they did give, I sent, or they did a rendition of what they believe Utsi may have looked like in life. So we'll post that on all the things. Um, what was really interesting, and I didn't really get into this, is the tattoos. Some people believe that his tattoos might have been believed to be medicinal. Oh? Yeah, I didn't get into it. I just read a couple, like, sentences and was like, if I get into this, I am going down a rabbit hole that I will never come out of. So, I opted not to do that. But if anyone knows more about medicinal tattoos, let us know. Paraphrase it. Summarize it. Um, I'm probably going to Google that later. Okay. But that is, let's see. I think he's great. He's wonderful. I will never say a bad thing about him. I don't know why you have this knack for talking shit about cursed objects after I tell you it's from a cursed objects book. Okay. I just wanted to know about his hands. I will say I don't, I don't really find him to be an object. That kind of threw me when I found him in there, but. Yeah, that feels rude. Yeah, so like I said, I just got the inspiration from this book. I'm not saying he's an object. I'm just thinking that, you know what, that was kind of rude of you guys. But I also know what my next cursed object is going to be because I just accidentally found the page. (laughs) Anyways, that's Utsi. I really hate it for him. (laughs) I don't think he wants to be famous. I think he wants to sleep. Well, he kind of is. 
and y'all the picture is so insane because his arm it looks like he is like disfigured with how his arm is reaching across his neck he does not look comfortable he doesn't why is his arm like that oh well i guess they can't really move him right his he was found with his arm like that so if they try to reposition his arm i assume it's going to cause damage so they're like your arm stay so i didn't really think of that but yeah that i mean at least give him a pillow or something dang it does look like he's sitting propped up on something but that could just be how his body is though yeah anyway. i really hate it but i kind of also love utzi because he's he is in charge he's like listen You guys want to disturb my final resting place. Let me show you. And I fought off at least three other people or four. Oh, well, they found four different blood types. So it was probably three. three. I fought off at least three other people and only met my demise because somebody stabbed me in the back. I will say it didn't specify if the blood type was animal or human on Mm -hmm. all of the blood types. Look, it can be two people and a mammoth, okay? I'm not judging. I'm saying he's a badass. I'm not arguing. I'm not <laughs> arguing. But justice for Otzi. Yeah, yes. So when Italy. time is sh- right, Italy, get on it. Justice for Otzi. You have the blood samples. Yeah. Figure it out. <laughs> but that that's Otzi. I love him. I do like him a lot. That was a really... I like that story. I don't care uh, if it's... Okay, I was going to say, I don't care if it's not technically a cursed object. I don't think we should call him an object. I think we should call him an object either. No. But I would say that it was paranormal, yes. Because, man, that's just really coincidental. Right? Like, I'm sorry, but seven people that we're aware of, seven people that were somehow in the same area where he was found, involved in finding him something... Like, the only one where I'm like, this is kind of BS, is the one that went to go and save Helmut. Yeah. That just feels dirty. He was doing his job, and you give him a heart attack? Maybe that one was just a coincidence, and he only has six victims, and uh, Utsi's like, dude, I didn't do that one. Yeah. He's like, look, y'all, that's not my kill. He's like, I had six kills, guys. I don't know what you guys are talking about, but he's not, someone else claimed him. But it does just feel way too coincidental. Right. And especially people, too, that I would I would assume if you're, like, hiking through the Alps and stuff or, you know, leading expeditions, you are somewhat fit and healthy. Right. So, it's, I don't know. That's what I would think, too, is he had to have been somewhat in shape. Mm-hmm. But what do I know? We know Utsi deserves better. Utsi. Utsi, listen, bro. I can't help you. We're on your side. Yeah, I don't have enough authority over the Italian Italians <laughs> at all. I don't have authority over them at all. So Yeah, I was barely... going to say, we literally have zero authority over the Italians. Yeah, zero. Like, I actually have negative authority over them. That's how bad mm-hmm. it is, right? So, yeah. <laughs> but if I could help, I would. We would put you at least underground. Give you some mood lighting. Yeah. At the very least, don't put him on display. Display his <laughs> copper axe, sure. But it's more fun to display Utsi. I mean, I have to say, I would go see him. I was just going to say, I want to go see him so bad. But I would see him from a distance, probably. No, I wouldn't. I know better. You have to go I up to the myself. window anyway. Yeah. You, have, you have to go to the window anyways to see him. I would go up to the window and I would be like, I'm sorry. 
You're looking great today. <laughs> you don't you're look looking a... particularly dehydrated. You don't look a day over four millennia. <laughs> Your skin is crisp. <laughs> those tattoos are popping. Oh, they are. Are those medicinal or are you just happy I'm here? <laughs> I can't. He's rolling over right now. He's like, these he bitches. hates us. He's like, okay. He's like, if they come visit, I am cursing mm-hmm. them. He's like, how do I get an avalanche to Arkansas? Let me know. He's like, I can figure it out for Utah. I just got to get her up there. Uh, all right. Thank you all for listening to Helen Hills podcast. To see pictures from this episode, you can follow us on Instagram at Helen Hills podcast, Twitter, Helen Hills pod or Facebook by searching Helen Hills podcast. You can find us on Linktree by typing Helen Hills podcast Linktree. We should be the first Google search. If you want to support us, please like, review, rate, share, and subscribe on your preferred listening platforms. If you want to take your support one step further so we can create additional content for you, you can donate through our Patreon where we're working to release specials for our patrons. If you have your own true crime or paranormal story suggestions or just words of encouragement, please email us at helenhillspodcast at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listening. Be sure to tell your friends to listen with you as well. Bye! Bye!